Welcome to Trail and Error, a look at the trail running world from the podium to the pack with your hosts Jay Grady and Tristan Stevenson. We decided to start our own trail running podcast to talk to the people we find interesting in the trail and ultra running world, to find out their highs and lows, their momentous successes and their abject failures, and to perhaps give us all a little bit of inspiration to take on some adventures and challenges of our own. We'll be speaking to runners and athletes, race directors and coaches, sports nutritionists and doctors to get the best out of our own running and hopefully yours too. We hope you enjoy the podcast and if you do, please hit like and subscribe via all the normal podcast feeds. But for now, let's get on with the show. Hello, welcome to another episode of Trail and Error. How are you doing, Jay? I'm good. How are you? Not bad, thanks, mate. Not bad. Um, been a little while. Yeah, we've had a, a bit of a, a, a break. I think just so many things going on. It's um, but I think we, we've we've you know we've changed some things in the podcast as well. And we've got some good stuff coming up. So hopefully now we'll be um, rocking and rolling from from here on in. Big summer yeah. plans. Yeah. Well, we've got events coming up. That's for sure. Which is what this episode is all about. But you've got one um, coming up. We've got Chamonix in what three or four months. Yeah, three months this week. Yeah, we'll be, uh, sorry, four months, four months this week. God, shaved a month off the training. Um, yeah, and then I'm um, I'm sweeping the Traverse Extreme uh, for Mud Crew, first half of the Traverse Extreme anyway. So I'm doing the Land's End to Lizard Sweeper Roll, 45 miles um, to the Traverse in Reverse. Traverse in Reverse, there we go. Um, so yeah, other than that though, um, I've got a quite an empty summer at the moment, but lots of other things going on, running related things. So that's all cool. We can talk about those at some point. But like 45, you say, miles of, 45 miles of sweeping is quite a lot of sweeping, isn't it? Yeah, um, but it's a route I've never run before. Uh, well, I have run it, but not that direction. Um, and so I'm quite looking forward to it. It's just a bit of an adventure run, and it works out well for my training for Chamonix as well. So it's a nice, long, supported training run effectively for me. So I'm, I'm kind of up for it. Hmm. It benefits me and them. And, and hopefully I won't catch anyone. Certainly on that leg. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's all works out quite well and it helps out mud crew. So, um, yeah, it's all good. Nice. But we're here to talk about your next race. Yeah. Which is a week away or eight days away at time of recording. Um, Saturday, the 7th of May, Thames path, 100 miles, which I think I must've booked that in about, I think I booked it in shortly after the track 24 fail actually so um, october yeah yeah october november time um the reason being that i want well i wanted to do the track because i wanted to see what it was like doing an ultra on a super flat course um and i found out it was pretty hard um and monotonous and um but nevertheless the you know there were some some successes to take home from that race um i managed to maintain the same pace borrowing toilet stops which did become more frequent um and you know barring the last few kilometers where uh, things went from badly wrong quickly um managed to maintain the same pace for 11 hours or 12 hours or whatever <clears throat> and that kind of gave me some confidence in the sort of flatter 100 mile maybe one day 24 efforts that i i can you know get a good time if I, get, if I start and maintain the right pace. 
a totally different beast to like running these sort of hilly ultras where obviously your pace is changing constantly um and your average pace is is quite a long way from your fastest pace and from your slowest pace at any given time um so um i signed up for the thames Path 100 because i thought well it's still trail but it's very flat um and i wonder if you know taking the monotony element of the track out of the equation dropping it down from 24 hours to 12 hours sorry not 12 hours <laughs> i don't think i'm gonna do it in 12 hours um <laughs> dropping it from 24 hours down to 100 miles um might be the best next step as i work my way back to potentially 24 hour discipline again yeah it'd be a good proving ground wouldn't it for a lot of because you did a lot of things right on the track like you say a lot of things went well you learned a lot um i learned that i'm not going to crew it without a, a good set of headphones next time um <laughs> but yeah it was um a good learn and you were very metronomic on that you were i think one minute 59 i could pretty much count you through every every two minutes doing a lap on that yeah um i watched Stephen cousins run film my runs uh thames path 100 which he did in i think he ran that in may 2019 um and and the thing that I picked up instantly was if you've ever watched any of Stephen's films, which are great by the way, but um, yeah, it was normally quite dramatic music on Stephen's runs. They're normally mountains and sweeping vistas and all this, and it's do 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 all this really powerful music. And on the Thames Path 100, it was quite gentle, melodic, happy. <laughs> you know, it was in the background. It was all making you feel really good, warm, glowy music. So um, a very different beast, but that was at the pace that he was doing it. So I think you're probably going to fall somewhere in between something like Tchaikovsky maybe and <laughs> um, I don't know who, Enya, somewhere in there between the two. <laughs> I tell you what, I, w I wish that Enya and Tchaikovsky would be going through my head. I think it's more likely <laughs> to be um, death metal um, <laughs> or um, what's that crazy techno anyway, you know faithless maybe um That'd be yeah good. It, it's um it's a weird one though with with something like the track or a sort of a fast flat 100 miler because even though you know you have no hills to slow you down you're still not going that quick you know i mean i'm not going as uh, you know that fast compared to the speed i can run a 10k in you know mm. so your effort level is always sort of, it's not like a marathon effort level where you're like, bloody hell, like I need this thing to be over as soon as possible. I'm sort of, on, I'm redlining this. I'm, I'm holding on for dear life. Your know, 100 mile effort level shouldn't feel like much effort at all, really. But the trick is to not slow down. Mm. Um, that's the key to it. And, you know, I did, did manage to do that pretty much for, the, for about 11 or 12 hours on the track. So what I need to do now is do that for about 13 hours or 14 hours on the Thames path. Um, How do you gauge that pace when you're running? Are you, are you on your watch all the time? Are you now just so locked into it that the perceived effort is, is just second nature now? How, how do you maintain that pace? I think a bit of both. I think, yeah, you, you, you do lock into it um, and get a feel for what um, constitutes a sort of all day pace. Um, I, and, and it is a fine line for sure. 
I've I've been testing a lot of this with my training, sort of going slightly faster than what I think all day pace is, going a little bit slower, trying to sort of hone in on what feels right. And it's it's quite amazing, you know, you 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 up the pace by five to ten seconds a kilometer, and suddenly you start knocking hours off the potential duration you can run for, mm. at least in my experience. Um, so yeah, I do it by feel, but then I'm checking the watch, checking back at the watch to see what that looks like in time as well and trying to establish it so that when I get to race day, <clears throat> I can, you know, I can, I can, I'll know if I'm overcooking it. I mean, that's the, that's the most likely scenario is I set off too quick and that it's dangerous because you can run for a marathon or more too quick and not realize that actually you're taking away from your pace later in the race because you've gone off too fast. I think, um, and I seem to remember Michael Stock saying something on these lines, you know, when you're, it should almost feel too slow to begin with. It should feel like I'm not doing enough. Um, but you've got to have confidence in that timing and try and, and try and maintain that pace. And, you know, there are different ways of doing it. Of course, the course record on the Thames path was set last year, 13 hours, 43. Uh, I forget the name of the guy that set that record. Um, but, um, he is a, a, apparently quite a fast marathon runner and he set off quick, but, and, and held that for probably 80 K. But if you look at his Strava after that, his time start to drop and drop and drop. And then, you know, so he set off at like four minute, 10 kilometers, oh. which is like, I don't know, a bit over a six minute mile, I guess. <clears throat> and then by the end, he was running six minute plus kilometers. Um, yeah. So more like a 10 minute mile. But then if you look at what someone like Alexander Sorokin or, or Michael Stocks did on the Centurion track 100 the other week, they're keeping the same pace the whole time. Mm. Like, you know, Michael, Michael started off at, you know, one minute, 59, two minute kilometers. And he finished on two minute, four kilometers, uh, sorry, two minute, four, um, laps, you know, and that's because he's, he's paced himself perfectly, like right from the start. And the same with Alexander as well, just holding out at one minute, 29 laps the whole way through to get the new hundred kilometer world record. So, um, that's really the key. And, um, for me, that means running, I think at around about four minutes. 50 maybe four minute 45 kilometers and just trying to hold that pace for as long as possible um which is slightly faster than the pace i was running around the track um only a little bit like a three four second lap faster mm. um but a different beast um in that you know it's over once you run it um and um not that same monotony on the legs uh, well i mean it is gonna be monotonous on the legs it is pretty flat still has i think um, 600 meters of climbing across the whole hundred miles. So really not a lot. Um, but, um, you, you have that finish line, don't you? Like you say, yeah. rather than time, you can alter how long you're out there yeah. by your performance. Exactly. There's the incentive to maintain the pace because it will be over sooner. Yeah. Mm. Um, so whereas, this rate, Oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say where I was on, where I was on a time, a time event you can speed up if you like and you will get further but the thing's not going to be over any quicker you know yeah exactly and it's uh, a very different beast i'm guessing so it, it's one of james's race james elson's race it's a centurion race so mm. it'll be very high quality and then it starts in richmond 
and in London on the Thames, and you run past Windsor Castle, and then you have Reading to look forward to. Always a big one on people's <laughs> list. Shout out to Reading, um, and then com- finishes in Oxford. Yeah, uh, but you're you're allowed a. a um, this is unusual for, for me. I've never run in a race where you can have this. It's very common in America, but um, you, you're allowed a, a pacer, I believe. Yeah, at some point. Yeah, from so it's weird. I've never run a race like this before. Um, from actually, I, I did. I have run a race with a pacer. The Serpent Trail. I was allowed a pacer from halfway. Pat, my brother, mm. did it. Um, but this is a bit weird. This one. You're not allowed any crew for the first half and you're not allowed any paces. So you have to rely solely on checkpoints for the first 50 miles. Um, well, actually, that's not... Te- yeah, you're, you're 51 miles, you're allowed crew and you're allowed a pacer, <clears throat> um, which is annoying um, because, mm, I mean, you know, whether or not it's sort of morally okay, okay I've relied quite heavily on crew to sort of give me the stuff that i need exactly switch out bottles quickly um and um you know for that for that support and moral support in it throughout races in the past um so it's a very level playing field in that respect for the first half there's no advance you know there's no one's got an advantage no home field advantage in a sense no there's no drop bags in the first half either so um, I, I don't. I don't know why they do that exactly. It might be for that reason, or it might be because of the course itself, and they don't want crew kind of taking out loads of space in the first half. Um, but even in the second half, you are only allowed crew at certain specific spots. I think there's four locations uh, between halfway and and the end where where crew are permitted to meet you on the course. And it's actually any, really similar to Chamonix. You're only allowed crew. Yeah, you're only allowed crew from Switzerland onwards. So right. No crew in Italy at all, and then three crew stops uh, for the CCC. Uh, two, one in Swiss, two in Switzerland, and one in France. Mm. So maybe yeah, it is, is a similar. common thing. Yeah, um, and you're allowed a pacer from 51, 51 miles. But unfortunately, I have been unable to recruit a pacer. Um, I yeah, for various. You know, reasons. I would, I... don't you? But <laughs> uh, I you could keep up with me, and I don't want to make you look bad. And... <laughs> I've been trying to get people to do it, but I mean, it's a bit of an ask. It's going to ruin someone's training block probably because they're going to need to run 50 miles in um, probably seven hours or seven and a half hours. Um, And even trying to get someone to just do the last marathon was tricky. Um, And, you know, I can understand why it's not exactly... um, you know, a totally desirable job to kind of run alongside me all silent and moody and struggling and trying to kind of motivate me. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange job, Pacer, isn't it? It's a, a thankless mm. task in a way. Yeah, it is a bit. Um, and you yeah. get thanked at the end. Um, but, uh, you know, also I'm like, pace, Pacers are nice and it, it does keep you company, but also they're not actually pacing you. Well, they needn't be pacing you because you've got to watch for that. Mm. and the watch tells you everything about your pace you need to know and if you're going too slow your watch will tell you you're going too slow and if you're going too fast it'll tell you you're going too fast so it's really motivational support that a pacer provides and you're very um, good at keeping you you run your one of the things that you've done really well is you run your own race you know you, mm. you almost shut out the competition and rely on your race plan to get you through certainly that's what you seem to have done so far so yeah, is a is a is a is a pacer going to aid you in any way? Anyway, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it was good on the Serpent Trail having Pat come and run with me. Um, that I think, so, especially for the first 10 or 15K I ran with him, it was it was really nice to have company. Hmm. Um, but, you know, I might have company anyway. Um, you know, if it's, if there's some good runners running, um, then it could be, could be, could be a good race. Um, we will see what I, what I fully expect is that, um, I won't be at the front or near the front possibly for the first half of the race. Um, or at least the first quarter, cause people will set off too fast and that is not exactly not my intention to do that. Um, so I will be one of the slower ones, at the, well, well one, not one of the faster ones at the start um, as we set off. And then hopefully everyone else will slow down except me. <laughs> <laughs> so kit-wise, yeah. shoes, what's on your feet? I'm running in the Saucony Endorphin Speeds. Um, nice. The original version because it, it was the second version which was size too short for me that got me on the um, track, but the, the OG version of which I managed to source an, another pair are brilliant um, and tested quite a lot more, most recently. Um, I've got a backup pair of the same shoe in a different size and I've got some Nike next percents just in case I'm feeling uh, frivolous <laughs> near the mm. end. And I'll bring probably a pair of Nike... Um, Nike Pegasus trails as well, just because they're ridiculously comfy and um, always a good backup. Um, kit, kit, the kit requirement, I, I don't know if they're going to change the kit requirement because as it stands, it's a fairly standard kit list of waterproof jacket, spare layer, all this kind of thing. But they also say they're going to send out another briefing um, ahead of race day, like three days before. So I don't know if it, that's subject to change depending on weather conditions. That's kind of the normal brief, isn't it? Just in case yeah. you're expecting some extreme, you know, if there's a named storm coming in, uh, they might change it or a, a cold weather blast. You know, it's still only May. We, it's not unheard of to have a, a bit of a north blast coming in or mm. an easterly blast. I don't know whether they'd change it based on like a heat wave um, as well. Like, mm. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it's all pretty standard stuff. Foil, blanket, you know, jacket, spare top. Um, two head torches, although the lumen requirement on the head torch is extremely low. And since I don't intend on run it, running much at night, I should say it starts at 9.30 in the morning. Um, and yeah, I want to, I certainly want to get under, I want to try and get under 14 hours. Um, and you know, I've got that course record in mind. I think on a really good day, it's doable. Um, as for where that gets me in placements, you know, whatever. Um, but the 13.43 doesn't seem out of the question. I don't think. Um, and what, so what time is sunset that, around then? Yeah, so sunset's going to be like um, eight forty-five. Yeah. Um, so it's probably going to be if I, I manage to do all that, it's going to be two and a half hours of running at night, maybe. Yeah. Dusk stretches out a little while. So, um, yeah, head torches, and then um, I mean, that's it for kit. Really, I'll be, I'll be. I mean, I run hot, as you know, and so I won't be wearing a lot. Um, I'm still sort of tossing up between wearing a, a, a sort of, um, race vest or, or a belt. Um, and I think I'll make that decision based on the weather. Hmm. Um, the belt is a little bit harder to pack everything into, but entirely doable. I mean, I packed everything into the belt for the plague. Yeah. Um, and the kit list on that, I think is more substantial. Um, 
but it's a li- it's just a little bit easier to pack on the vest and it means i can carry more fluids as well which i might well need to do given you know i'm not seeing checkpoints for every 10 miles um and if but, but if it's really hot then i probably will go with the with the belt because the vest I, the vest make me feel really hot all that extra that extra layer basically isn't it yeah it's um it's always that balance between sweating and keeping cool as well isn't it you're gonna mm. leak out your hydration otherwise but um yeah it's a difficult one because i don't you know i guess it, it's gonna it's really gonna be temperature dependent on how how you perform kit wise yeah. what you need yeah hmm well i i have to say i don't envy you but I, it has piqued my interest um lots of our friends go off and do these canal path races grand Union canal and all this stuff and uh They've appeared on my radar in the in the last year, but um, I think I'm going to have to uh, be convinced. I shall be watching your progress intently. Well, and, I mean, uh, it should be quite pretty, um, you know, all through Henley and you know along the Thames. And I, I, I've lived in uh, Oxford and London, um, and never, besides the sort of bit in London where you, it's unavoidable, you know, all the kind of embankment bits. Hmm. I've never set foot on the Thames path. Um, and I've never set foot on, at least as far as I can remember, any of the Thames path that we're running um, next weekend. So it's kind of, amazing. Yeah, I mean, I've driven over it and it looks lovely. Um, I, 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 but I'm kind of looking forward to it. Um, and I think, you know, one of the tools I'm going to try and employ is thinking about it that way like i wonder what's around the next corner i Mm. wonder which village or town or pub i'm going to see next i wonder who i'm going to see next and sort of use those little tricks and strategies almost bits of narrative in order to break up the monotony and you know separate your mind from the movement and the endeavor um, of the event We'll see how that works after uh, 10 hours, eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, another lock. Um, <laughs> could be good. It does look really nice. And um, like I said, I watched Stephen's video on it and uh, it looks picturesque. It's it's kind of, it's it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've experienced, very small experience on Canal Path and it killed me. Um, just counting down the bridges and the lock numbers and things like that, even for a, a short mountain mileage hurt, hurt my brain. Um, so yeah, it's going to be very interesting, but I know you do well. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out. Right. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, well, let's jump uh, on soon and see how you did. Touch base after the event and, uh, do the debrief. Absolutely. Right. Well, good luck. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Speak to you in a minute. Hello. That was quick. Hello. Oh, thank you. I was quite happy with it as well. Uh, oh, we've given it away. We spoiled, <laughs> spoiled the whole thing already. It wasn't that quick. <laughs> uh, so this is our um, second half of the race special for Thames Path 100, which I'm glad to say you ran and not me. Um, yeah. And we're recording, um, well, not even 24 hours after the finish. No, about um, 18 hours, maybe. Yeah. So that, that it, the, the race was on Saturday the seventh, and it's now the evening of Sunday the eighth. You're looking very chipper, I have to say. Surprisingly so. Um, not least of all because I haven't had any sleep. Um, I well, no, non, no sleep at all. I napped for like five or ten minutes. Um, 
I think I just overdid it so much on caffeine um, that, um, you know, I'm still high effectively um, <laughs> off that. Um, well, if, you know, the, you, I guess that's sort of like uh, par for the course with these sort of things. I mean, I do tend to overdo it on caffeine on a, on a daily basis, but I don't tend to be swallowing kind of gallons of coffee at 10 p.m. at night. <laughs> that is your super fuel, isn't it? Is it? Honestly, it makes such a difference to me. I mean, I think it's because I train on it every day. Um, I mean, 95% of my runs in training are fueled only on coffee. I do a fasted and I'll have drunk probably two cups of coffee before I go out. And so there's just something in that. My body is just like really responsive to caffeine and especially coffee. Like it doesn't, doesn't work quite so well on Coke, for example. I mean, I, I like drinking Coke, so I do drink it in races and I drank it yesterday. But um, it needs to be kind of caffeine from the source, you know, um, that being from the coffee. Bean. Yeah, direct from the bean, baby. Because you, you um, would think almost, given your propensity for, for drinking coffee and, you, and your love of coffee, which is something we'll probably touch on one day, but mm. um, you'd think it would almost lose some kind of effectiveness or an edge, wouldn't you? You'd think you'd be Yeah, well, I think if I drank kind of normal amounts, then it would. But I have to drink kind of twice as much as what a rhino would drink um, if it were partial to a cup of coffee. <laughs> cup of coffee. And that, that kind of hits the hits it <laughs> i See, mean yesterday's race um i started drinking coffee uh, i think at heart, the halfway point and it wasn't you know it was, it was not a particularly long race for 100 miler but um i still got through two liters of coffee in seven hours alongside wow. coke and tailwind um wow. so you know it's it's a lot of coffee was it um, all liquid race again all liquid race yeah as as planned um which is frustrating because I must say Centurion do put on a good spread and it's not just the variety of products, but it's the arrangement. Um, oh, do tell. Yeah, well, you know, everything's portioned out into single serves. I mean, I didn't spend too much time kind of noticing all the different stuff, but it was like a sushi counter. Oh, wow. You know, where everything's kind of prepared and presented well, but then sort of spaced well as well, you know? Yes, yeah, so like, you, it was you grab and go. Yeah, it was like a Zen garden um, <laughs> that someone had <laughs> in all these aid stations, which um, probably wasted a couple of minutes just kind of staring at it, all the beauty of it. Um, but I never felt hungry. I mean, it's just not good. And I, and I did I just struggle a little bit with the feeling of sickness on the second half of this race, which um, hampered my ability to put fuel inside. But luckily, um, you know, I know I bang on about a lot, but the kind of fat adaptation thing carried me right through to the end i didn't really fuel at all in the last three or four hours of the race i think i managed to get a little bit of coke down me but stopped on the tailwind and um yeah that was it that's the only sugar sugar and caffeine from the coke yeah mate you say you bang on about it a lot but i, I get asked a lot of pe- a lot of people that know that i know you do ask about your diet and, and i think there's a general level of interest people definitely see it as something you're doing well and i always emphasize how much research and testing you put into it all because you do um and so yeah. you know it's not something people can just i guess not do willy-nilly maybe some people can digestion is so individual but it's something yeah. that you do put a lot of effort into well i think it's it you have to take the approach like you do with the rest of your preparation for a race um you don't expect to turn up to a 50 mile or a 100 mile race and be able to just run it without the training and for me, nutrition is exactly the same. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean low carb. You know, I think any nutrition strategy needs to be trained and, and, and stress tested 
um, and worked out. And it needs to be used in different environments as well, in the hot, in the cold, at night, whatever, different times of the day. I was listening to a, a guy... Well, I was listening to, I was really listening to Shane Benzie's, um, the lost art of running, um, today. And there is a, it's a bit, I couldn't remember before, um, a chap who was running through, uh, he was doing MDS, but he was doing Namibia in this particular section of the book, but to prepare for MDS, his level of preparation, he microwaved all of his nutrition, um, at home so that he would understand what it was like when it melted in the desert, <laughs> which yeah, well, it's kind of genius, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, you, uh, this is the thing. If you if you if your environment's going to completely change, a the sort of um, circumstances of the consumption, like temperature, humidity, and b the food itself, that's something you need to test for. Because what you don't want to be doing is racing and going, oh, you know, I wonder what eating an entire Whisper bar uh, <laughs> at mile thirty is going to feel like at mile thirty two. I like Whispers, so it should be okay. And then next thing you know, throwing up. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I, and I used to have problems, like gastric problems, um, when early in my sort of racing and, and ultra stuff. I say early, I haven't been doing it that long. And it was, you know, anyone that's had it, you've had it, it's it's mm. so distressing and debilitating and like frustrating to know that you've put all this work in and then you can't carry on moving because you're not able to fuel. So for me, the low carb, you know, I, I, I don't particularly see it as a performance advantage in the sense it's going to make you run faster. I just see it as removing the potential stress of gastric issues because you can get by on fueling on so little. And you don't have to do it on just drinks. You can still eat if you want to. But you'll find you need to eat half as much, if not less, than the average runner. And, and actually, I would say the average runner is probably eating too much. Even on a moderate carbohydrate diet, people are trying to put too much food inside themselves a lot of the time. Or trying to put too much in one go and um, suffering those, as a result. Those all-you-can-eat buffets are quite tempting though, aren't they? As you yeah, well. well, it is. Especially when you've got a Centurion Zen buffet. <laughs> um. uh, with waitress <laughs> service. Um, <laughs> uh, right, so anyway, we should probably jump in because uh, if <clears> anybody <throat> didn't get spammed by me uh, last night, by the way, well done because I was throwing out race info like we've never done before. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you were. I was sat in a brewery in, um, I was sat in Verdant over in uh, Falmouth and I was that guy on my phone while everybody else was was chatting and talking. I'm like, <laughs> oh, just be a second. I've got to check this race updates. Sam kept saying to me, he's not going to get there any faster if you keep checking. It's like, I, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> so yes, you did. You did rather well. Yeah, it went well. Um, so I finished in uh 13 hours 59 something 13 59 35 38 something like that so very close just under the 14 hour mark which was nice because i missed that 20 hour mark on the on the arc and so it was nice to clip in just under an hour on this occasion um i i and you won i mean i, I don't say. know you won what's that sorry you missed out the fact that you came first oh i came first yeah 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 <laughs> Um, it was first place. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's a fast course, um, compared to many hundred milers because as we mentioned, I think, I can't remember exactly what we talked about on the first half of this episode. So I might repeat some things. Um, I can't really remember a lot about the last we week about a little, with you right now. <laughs> it's a little altitude in it, but not much. Yeah. There's not a lot of climbing in it. Um, I think my, my Garmin clocked 
600 meters or just shy of 600 meters. So we're looking at about 2000 feet, aren't we? Um, which is not a lot. And, and basically it's all slightly uphill. Um, so there's very little downhill at all, but you're following the Thames and you're following it inland. So that kind of makes sense because it's a river and they flow downhill, uh, mostly. So, um, there's a few little bits, like just after Reading, there were a few kind of little climbs, um, that would go on for a few minutes, but on the whole, yeah, it's flat, it's flat, or at least it very, it feels like flat running. Um, I was quite surprised about the terrain itself though. In my head, I would thought that a lot of it was going to be almost like pavement next to the river, um, like a canal which path. you'd be running along. Yeah. But, the, uh, but actually most of it was trail and a lot of it was kind of quite narrow, wiggly towpath, um, like single, you know, you know, one foot wide kind of trail, um, with grass verge on either side of it. So okay. not what you'd call technical. There were some, a few little, slightly technical bits through woodland and stuff like that, but still not, you know, ideal running conditions for speed. Um, and also, you know, while we're talking about the course itself, a lot of gates, said to James Elson at the end, I feel extremely proficient at opening gates um, <laughs> because I reckon there were, well, he reckons North Dan Way, North Dan's Way has got 100 gates in it. I reckon the Thames Path ain't far off that. I mean, there are wow. sections where there's no gates at all, but there's other sections in a mile you might open five or six gates. Um, and that gets a bit annoying after a while. It's not so bad at the start when you've got that power and acceleration after a gate. But at the end, when it's both a struggle to slow down and to speed up, um, you kind of get a bit gate weary, um, but Any I can. Styles? Oh, all sorts. This is this is one of the kind of fascinating things. The style of gate, the style of latch, evolves as the race continues because, of course, you're moving through different um, like districts and, and, and oh, counties yeah. and everything. Yeah, and they each have you know their own sort of history and gate technology. <laughs> uh, There's a whole fascinating podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh dear. but uh, and then of course one i want to have every 10 gates you wrestle with it don't you you're like motherfucking. oh yeah push or pull or lift or drop yeah. or something the lever doesn't work yeah or farmers kind of did you have, any, Sorry, did you have any oncoming traffic did you meet any people coming people? Your way? did you have to yield yeah yeah um there's a few hot spots um henley was the worst um there's probably about three miles as you're approaching and leaving Henley where it was very busy and it was the time of day as well because mm. I guess it was sort of mid-afternoon and a lot of people and it was also probably the hottest part of the race so those two factors conspired to make me quite angry um as I ran through Henley um probably ruined a few family days out um <laughs> just with my sort of Passive aggressive, verging on aggressive characteristics. <laughs> do, do, do you think no, though, that they just was... didn't? They didn't know you were racing. There's just some some mm. guy like massively driven, um, casual runner charging along the coast path, and then they were just mown down by the legions that followed you. Well, yeah, I mean, it's one of the, one of the disadvantages of being at the front is that they're not expecting you. Um, so, and and some people know it's a race bib, and a lot of people, a lot of people knew the race was going on, or if they didn't, then they're just very tuned to kind of cheering runners, because there did seem to be a lot of people scattered all over the course who were clapping and waving. Um, and like I say, I was running on my own for seventy five percent of the race, so 
you know, they, they were obviously new to expect something. Um, and that was cool. It's, it's a well-supported race, especially in the first half, I would say. I mean, the second half is probably a lot more um, rural and less built up. You don't see a lot of, you know, the villages you pass through are very small, whereas the first half you kind of, I mean, you're coming out of central London or, or great, mm. greater London. So obviously it's quite built up. How did the race invol- invol- unfold? Um, well, I set off at my kind of target all day pace, which um, was somewhere around 440 to 445 a kilometer. I don't know what that is in miles, about seven, something like that. I was looking um, at your splits and you were, you were around about seven, eight minute miling the whole way. Yeah, so seven, seven and a half maybe. Um, unfortunately, I got lost. Um, everyone, everyone's going to think this is funny because how do you get lost on the Thames path? Just follow the Thames, right? Um, but uh, there are the bits where... Path? Yeah, well, follow the sea, right? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> there are bits though where it sort of spurs off and then comes back. And so, you know, that's not... It's not Sometimes when you're heading perpendicular to the Thames, you are going the right way. Um, but anyway, it was just, it was, it was my fault. Um, I kind of was, it was only about two hours in and I was approaching um, a busy bit of road with a bridge on it. And there was, Centurion signage is really good, by the way. Like, I do not know how many bits of pink ribbon I ran past yesterday, but oh, really? it's got to be, oh my God, it's got to be a thousand. Um, like they are all over the place. They, they, you know, they really do their best to make sure that everyone knows where the route is. Lots of arrows, lots of signage. Actually, weirdly, it gets easier to spot them in the dark because they're highly reflective. Um, whereas in the daytime, I guess oh, you can miss them, especially. Off the yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, there was an arrow pointing right. And then immediately after on a lamppost, there was an arrow pointing left. So basically you had to cross the road. And I just missed the left pointing arrow. And I ran about half a K up the road. And I got to the end of the road, turned a bend at the end, and I was thinking, I haven't seen any signage or any tape for three minutes or whatever. And um, thought I'd better head back. And so I headed back and then realized, yeah, I'd missed a sign. So I lost about five minutes there. Where was that roughly? It was quite early on. I think it was about 10 or 15K in. Um, Okay. So that was frustrating. But I think situations like that, you got to be really careful not to let it get the better of you um, because you're so early doors in a race like that and five minutes difference can easily be made up in the latter stages of the race when someone's walking and someone else isn't, you know? Yeah. So there's a temptation to like, right, pick up the pace, get back to where you were, need to manage that within 3K, otherwise the whole race is doomed. So I didn't do that, um, but I did pick up the pace slightly and um so i was down to like sort of 430 435 a kilometer which is faster than i thought i'd be running but i thought you know i'll just hold this for for you know for half an hour anyway i ended up holding it for hours um barring the stops i held it for uh, right up to about 100k um and just felt great felt really good felt like it was totally manageable um the nutrition everything was working well by you know, by 100k, I was I had a pretty good lead, um, and um, yeah, after 100k, things start getting tougher. You know, you've been on your feet for across 100k at just over eight hours. Um, although, as so you were still throwing that. in 
sub eight minute, you threw the odd sub eight minute mile after you so 115k, you threw down a, a 756. Mm. Um, and then you also did a 755 at 130. So they were, they were interesting. There's some real surges going on there. You can see your stops within your splits. Probably when I coffee. <laughs> <laughs> or some sushi. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I managed to, I, I think the, in the latter stage of the race, it wasn't so much, I didn't have the pace. It was just that the stops became a bit longer and also they're more frequent. Um, you know, quite rightly, aid stations get more compacted towards the end of the race because most people are moving slower. The idea, I guess, is that you have the same sort of time between aid stations, um, but obviously the distance is shorter because of the speed drop. Um, my my speed between them didn't slow that much, a little bit, but not too much. Um, but I was stopping at every single one because I was maintaining this this pace and because I was, quite frankly, over it. And you know, it's not just like tiredness, it's boredom as well. Like it's the, oh, here's another field, there's another trail through it, another flat bit, and it's dark and it's very easy to get bored in the dark. You know, you don't see people anymore. And, you know, I, I said in the first half of this episode, you know, I, one of the sort of mental strategies I wanted to use was to talk to people, um, talk to people I'm racing with, talk to people I'm running past, have a little bit of conversation because I found that if you do that, you can then, recycle that conversation in your head for a minute or two afterwards even if it's just two exchange lines from one another you can go around that and that 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 kills two minutes and, and or until mm-hmm. you see the next person and that i think that can be a really effective sort of coping strategy to make the day more interesting and then suddenly you know the miles just unroll okay so the flaw in your plan clearly was that the fact you were about five to ten k ahead of people the entire way then on your own yeah, well, you talk to people who are spectating and watching. Like, I'd run past people who are cheering, and I'm like, oh, I want to stop and have a picnic with you. And then I'd actually, I even got to the point, like, with one group, they were sat down in pits, and I actually slowed down. I went, do you mind if I join you? And they were laughing and everything, and then I sped up again. And it's like, that kept me happy for about five or ten minutes because I'd had a bit of banter with someone, and it was quite funny, and they, they probably thought it was funny. And, um, you know, then, then you've killed another kilometre. And there's only 160 of them, so or 164 actually, and a half as the case was. Um, Ultras can be very so yeah, lonely, right? Yeah, well, especially at the end. I mean, the last the last two or three hours, you don't see anyone except for aid stations and crew. Um, but yeah, I was I was um, I was uh, gunning for the course record, um, which is set last year um 13 hours 43 so i was 16 minutes off that um now you know if i hadn't added the extra kilometer on near the start could chop four or five minutes off that six minutes off that um at the at the end um so then you know it's 10 minutes um and um james has specifically requested that we don't talk about the diversion on this race so we're not going to talk about that um, <laughs> no, you sweep under the that. carpet too much. It's like it didn't happen, though. That's the you know, it's like the elephant in the room. No, <laughs> there was, I mean, there was a diversion, and it's, it's it's it was simply a case of the environment agency closing a section of the Thames path and a, and a, and the last minute diversion they need to make. I, I personally don't consider it to be a major issue unless you're going to be someone who is close to cutoffs. 
um, and therefore an extra mile and a half might make a difference um, to whether you can get around in time. Or if you're trying to break the course record (laughs) and you've got to run an extra mile and a half. But I don't, I mean, I don't care that much. You know, it's fine. I'm really happy with it. Coast Pass constantly changing. Mm. So we get diversions all the time. I think we must be used to it. Yeah, yeah. This was quite a big diversion. I mean, it took... um, it took an, a, a lot, it was, it was a two and a half, I think uh, like two and a half miles and it cut out a mile or something like that. So it was, it took a big chunk out or it added a big chunk out. Whatever. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, like I, um, it was, it was actually quite refreshing to see a different part of the countryside, you know, and to kind of see some, some proper woodland and, and, and a little bit of hill as well. Um, so, you know, I, I don't care. I'm, that I, I, I kind of wanted to break the course record and I set my eyes on the pace of the course record and I managed to get under that pace. So I'm super happy with it. Um, the, uh, I guess the question on everyone's lips is how destroyed are my feet after it? Um, obviously, knowing as every podcast, everyone who listens to this podcast does, that I'm very used to sort of bits of my feet falling off. And um, I'm pleased to say that um, this race didn't disappoint. Uh, <laughs> my feet are falling apart. Tradition was honoured. Um, I saw a picture of your feet earlier. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thanks, and mate. that's mostly down to a rather reckless, but I'm, I think probably um, the right move, uh, last minute shoe change. Um, so I, I think probably in the earlier, earlier uh, part of this episode, I said that I was going to run in the Saucony and Dolphin speeds um, because it's a shoe that's really comfortable and, and pretty quick. Um, but I, I'd been having a conversation with a friend about the Nike um, uh, AlphaFly Next Percents, the ridiculously fast Elio Kipchoge shoe. And uh, I, I have a pair of those, which I'd run in a couple of times, and I hadn't found them very comfortable, and I think it's because they were too small. But anyway, in the last week leading up to the race, I ran in them a couple of times, just sort of like, like oh, you know, I wonder what these are like. And yeah, they were too small. I could, you know, I've bought a large pair of shoes that are too small and these were no different, but God, they were quick. You know, I was, I was, I was out running sort of, you know, easy zone one, zone two runs and finding myself 5% quicker at the same heart rate and same effort level. I was like, shit, you know, I really can't ignore these pairs of shoes, especially considering, you know, I thought it was going to be, you know, a pretty nice flat runnable trail which you know it was runnable but it was there was some slightly more technical elements to it so um the day before the race um when i drove up to oxford i stopped by to um uh, what's it called bista shopping village (laughs) Um, oh i know that and yeah and there's a big nike factory outlet store there and I'd phoned ahead and they'd, they'd held back a, play, a pair of um, these next percents, which are a little bit bigger, picked them up and uh, had dinner with Craig, my crew, and told him the news that I was going to be starting the race in a box fresh, brand new pair of shoes that I'd never <laughs> run in before. <laughs> which is such, such, stu- such a stupid thing to do. Um, but I tried them on and they fit perfectly. I was confident I wasn't going to have toe issues. Um, and the, I didn't have toe issues, although I don't know, I think maybe I'm going to lose a couple of toenails. Um, but it wasn't like debilitating or painful or anything like that, like I've had before, 
but I did have a lot of rubbing on the arch of the foot on my left foot by um, Henley, the halfway point, roughly. I had a blister probably approaching the size of a child's ear on the bottom of my foot. And Craig put a blister plaster over the top that didn't even cover it. It was that big, (laughs) but um, it sort of managed the pain. It didn't really get any worse. It burst. So the, the side of my 250 pound pair of shoes has got blood all up the side of it from this busted blister. Um, but the pain was fine. It was totally manageable. Um, and, um, I managed to complete, I did the whole race in them. Um, I was thinking about changing shoes, but I was like, I could change shoes and then it could just exacerbate it. Whereas actually things aren't getting worse. So I'll just. Well, that's what I kept checking with Craig when he said you had a blister. It was like, uh, so I kept checking then and it was like, is it getting worse? And he's like, no, it's fine. So yeah, I think you Mm -hmm. made the right choice there by sticking with it. When you mentioned the percentages increase in speed to, to me the day before, it was a no-brainer, wasn't it, really? Yeah, how could you not yeah. take that advantage? Well, exactly. I just was like, you know, it's sort of it's not really selling myself short, isn't it? Is it? It's kind of like not taking, you know, all the opportunities that I could. And you know, if you picked the guy at the post, it, it would have been a you know, maybe an, an advantage in that way. But you you were so far ahead. So yeah, yeah. I think the, yeah. the shoe helped, didn't it? Shoe helped me get the pay, the speed I got. I don't reckon I could have done it that quick in the Sorkinese. Um, I do genuinely believe it's a faster shoe. Well, I mean, it's proven, isn't it? You see all the records mm. that are toppling these days in those shoes, um, you know, not least of all the marathon, um, well, unofficial marathon records. So, I, I, you know, and especially in the first half of the race where there was a lot more kind of paved and road and, and that sort of thing, they were a delight to run in. Um, so... Yeah, like I say, I, you know, all of these little things, the, my, my packing, and I ended up running in a, in a waist belt, which created um, no small amount of uh, uproar on social media. Um, I know, I had to I, stop myself from wading in. <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe I it. There was a lot so of speculation much. about mandatory kit and everything. There's um, some trolling going on. There was some very unsavory yeah. talk. I, I had to literally restrain my fingers from jumping in and name calling um shame on you people um well i I had no idea about it until the end of the race and so we we did a a video of the uh kit check which kind of um removed any doubt i i think the fact of the matter is that a lot of people pack too much um now if you're doing a um you know the lakeland 100 or you know uh the arc of attrition where you're likely to be in First of all, areas that can get dangerous quite quickly if the weather changes or de- areas that are extremely remote and away from civilization, then I think it makes total sense to pack mandatory and then pack, you know, for worst case scenario. Um, also in areas where you don't have mobile phone signal. But on the Thames path, when I knew I was going to be running 90% of it in the daytime in light, and where you have mobile signal, I'm, I'm pretty sure, the entire way. Um, and you're not that far from civilization, really, at any any point. Never more and than a mile. And you have a crew. Yeah. All of that. So you don't need then, anything um, extra. And I want to run a fast race, then I'm going to pack mandatory. And, and it's a nice day. There's no sign of rain. There's no sign of wind. Um, I'm not going to be carrying extra stuff. And again, another reason why the, um, the low-carb thing works for me as well, because I don't carry any fuel. It's all in the drink. So it, there's no there's no gels, there's no bars, there's no 
choose there's nothing um so it's it's easy to pack pretty small and i i use a website or i have used a website called ultralight ultralight running gear ultralight outdoor gear i think it's called and uh, it's cool it's just it's a shop that just sells outdoor gear for running hiking whatever um where the sh- you can filter things by price and by size and all that usual stuff but you can also filter by weight oh and that's so, so you cool can find the lightest pair of gloves the lightest hat the lightest base layer whatever um and it's really useful for when you want to pack light and run light i yeah. think you proved it on i mean you ran with it in the plague obviously the plague didn't complete but you ran with it on the plague mm. you were happy that you, you managed to get in there you did it on the serpent um yeah 100 so you proved it there and i think maybe people within the centurion zone of influence if you like the centurion community had never heard of you so for mm. them to to wonder if you were under i mean from us that from the people that know you we know that you're meticulous and so it would have been a massive stuff up on your part if you hadn't had some manager kit and, and i imagine the checking that went through prior and during is is what you normally do and what we all do anyway so for those mm. people i think that were wondering i just think they didn't know you and I think they uh, couldn't understand that concept. So, mm. yeah. I don't think yeah. it was malicious. Yeah. Say, but. yeah, no, I mean, I, and to be honest with you, I um, there were photos or uh, videos or whatever maybe coming to aid stations. And because most of the kit is on my back, not on my back, but on my backside. On, on the belt. Um, yeah. yeah, on the belt. Um, the, the only thing I hold in the front is the water bottles. Now, of course, when I get to aid stations, I don't want to have water in my bottles. I want them to be empty. That's the whole point. I'm thinking between aid stations, right, how much fluid am I going to need and how much do I not need? So I'm not carrying mm-hmm. extra stuff, you know? So um, the idea is when I get to the aid station and I'm counting it down, I'm counting down the miles, the, that bottle's empty or very nearly empty and then chances are I'll finish it just before I get there. So I was coming into aid stations and the... You could hardly see the front of the bell and it was empty anyway. And you can't see the back at all because it's a front on frontal photo. So I can kind of see why people were like, is he even carrying any kit at all? Um, but I can assure you I carried the whole lot the whole time. But it's a good concept though. I did the arc with a, an eight litre Patagonia pack because I could fit the mandatory race kit in there and I had a crew. I can't mm. use an eight litre pack on CCC. It won't all fit in. So you, you, you like mm-hmm. you say, you carry what you have to carry and you take into consideration consideration the conditions but yeah it was a, a a strategy that works so hopefully a few people will it'll kind of do a bit of less of the um you know packing the kitchen sink because when we when we fixate about you know having the lightest waterproofs the lightest this and then that innate thing in, inside some people that goes right well i need to pack for each eventuality now and the amount of times i used to have kit that i'd never used and i you know go through my mandatory race kit the, the, just through habit all the shit that i would put in there Mm. I never ever use sewing kit, you know, all this stuff. You're like, what am I doing? Mm. So yeah, I think it's sewing kit. people need to Oh, literally. <laughs> and some some races tell you to take a, a sewing kit. You're like, okay, a little bit of needlework while I'm Do a little you know, bit of embroidery, uh mile forty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just do do a quilt while you're going along. It, yeah, if the scenery really takes you, then uh perhaps just sort of sit down and do a bit of crochet, is it? Yeah, that would work, wouldn't it? So um always have that handy and some oil paints um and an easel and some brushes yep. just in case you want it on a race you see some beautiful scenery why not paint an oil painting of it 
<laughs> so yeah, we do kind of get into bad habits sometimes with the amount of shit that we carry. People, uh, um, people also ask like, does it bounce? I actually, someone was talking to me at the start line asking me about it, asking, does it bounce? And my answer to that is if you pack it well, it doesn't. And the trick is to spread out your load, whatever it is you're carrying, as much as possible around the waistband. If you have it all clumped into one area, then it bounces around. And actually the same is true of, of race vests as well. If you clump mm. everything into one area, then it bounces. If you can spread it around the place, spread the whole weight around, then it holds tight to your body, assuming you've got the, the straps sort of the right length and everything. So and you didn't have trick. to go into the belt too much, did you either? Because you're not disturbing kit then, because you, you really don't access it apart from the water. I didn't touch anything apart from the water bottles. Didn't, didn't yeah. touch anything. I carried the two mandatory head torches. I didn't even touch them because my two torches were, you know, passable. They're fine. They were minimum lumens, but they weren't something I wanted to run in. So when it got dark, I grabbed a head torch off my crew, proper head torch, Petzl one, um, yeah. so that I could actually see properly. So I was carrying three head torches at the end, technically. Well, well, there you so go. I didn't have to touch so, any of it. Don't, I didn't want to touch any of it. It's all packed down perfectly. And, um, you know, if emergencies happen, then it's there. But, um, you know, especially towards the end. And I, I do think it makes a difference at that because I was running it quite quick. I only had two or three hours of darkness. In those two or three hours, I was seeing a lot of crew and a lot of checkpoints. So there just wasn't, you know, there was, there was very little kind of threat of things going wrong and and you know being on my own for hours how did craig do because you know it's always good to to know our friends appeal oh, on crew, well, crew wise well he yeah. did really well I, I mean it's it's an interesting race i don't know if we covered it in this first half you, you're not allowed any crew for the first half of the race 51 miles so i think he said henley. You. yeah so it's not until henley that they're allowed to jump in so you rely for people on the checkpoints, which does make a nice level playing field to the whole thing. Um, and then even after that, crews are only allowed at designated spots, some of them near checkpoints and some of them not. Um, but yeah, he was great. He, uh, you know, he's, he, he was brilliant. You know, you sort of like cycle over in your head the things you might need, but you become very forgetful, I think. Oh, I do anyway towards the end of these races and you can easily leave a crew stop and be like oh damn i forgot to take any electrolytes um or whatever it is um so he he would just kind of go through all the different potential options electrolytes tailwind coke head torch do you want a top on um that was the other thing as well like you know we all had to carry an extra base layer i didn't touch mine but i did put another layer on at one point but i grabbed that off crew because i didn't want to be messing with my packing you know um So, yeah, no, Craig's, Craig, Craig's brilliant. Well, he's an ex-Royal Marine and he has a, 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 a fantastic phrase, which is one is none and two is one, which means that he always carries two of everything. So even if yeah. you forget something or lose something, Craig will have it. Shout yeah. out, Craig. Well done, mate. <laughs> um, so shoes, shoes are fantastic. Kit worked well. Path was uh, fairly predictable apart from a few bits. Um, atmosphere on the race. You like that as well? Yeah, that's great. It's, like I say, it's well well uh, supported. The Centurion staff are brilliant. Um, like amazing at uh, the checkpoints. And, you know, the, you can tell they're all runners themselves and into it. Um, Did you see Steve and, Cousins? 
did. He was pretty early on manning one of the checkpoints. Um, he, uh, he said to me, oh, you'll have it done in 15 hours. And that was kind of <laughs> fueled my fire. Let's get it done in under 14. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, he was good filming. Obviously, had his, I think it was his boy filming. Um, yeah, it was a family a little, checkpoint by the look of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, little kind of another mini cousins. Um, um, is it, yeah, it's obviously a family affair. So um, they were great. That was a good, good family checkpoint. Um, although I was trying to get a blister plaster off of them, they didn't have one, um, which was a little bit annoying because that blister at that point was probably at a manageable level, but it got worse and worse. And it wasn't until I saw Craig at Henley where obviously he did have blister plasters that I was able to to get one put on, but it was a bit late by that point. Anyway, it didn't matter. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think that blister plaster, given the size of that blister, might have stopped it anyway. No. Um, uh, yeah so yeah what, what was going to happen and that was just you know you traded that off uh, uh, an amazing shoe and you got yeah. a blister so it worked out well yeah exactly it's i think it was a good trade i mean i am hobbling around now um but uh and i the problem now is that i can't take the plaster off to properly clean it because if i do it's probably going to pull most of the kind yeah, of nice, skin off too nice long so, soak yeah, I mean, what do you reckon? Should I just like leave it and maybe put it in the bath and like tomorrow or something? Yeah, so I mean, I would so- probably soak it in some salty water because then you get the um, antiseptic effect of the salt, yeah. um, and some warm salty water would probably start to dislodge it. But yeah, you want to keep it nice and clean. Obviously, you don't want infection in there, but yeah, just yeah. work through that way. But also, you don't want that rip because that's just not fun. Yeah, exactly. No, I don't want that. Um, I'm, it's really annoying because I've got my ice bath now and sauna. And I, what I really want to do is get in the ice bath. But um, I don't know. I might leave that till tomorrow, I think. Um, and Because uh, that's going to be so good for recovery, eh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. And uh, yeah, we sh- you should do one of your bar um, podcasts from the ice bath. Maybe we should do what- live from maybe Maybe we should do a trail and error video podcast. I don't know. It's, we could probably just about both fit in the ice bath. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be close. <laughs> Maybe the we shortest do- podcast we've ever done. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, the sauna one would be pretty short as well. I think because you don't want to do about more than 15 minutes in there. Um, we could just fudge that one up anyway. Just have like a, a grayed out screen talk and say you can't see each other. That'll be fine. Well, just don't, we can go do it in the sauna, but just not turn the sauna on. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so what is your plan for recovery? Because that's something that uh, we don't really hear a lot about. Um, yeah. How are you going to come back from this? And when's your next race and all that? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the advantages of um, tearing your feet to shreds is that you don't kind of have that temptation to go out and run, um, which is something that I've fallen sort of victim to in the past i've tried to get out and run too soon and i i don't think there's any great benefit to it i think walking is good um swimming and you know cycling even um but i think i think um i think running too soon is not a good idea i don't think it it gives any benefit whatsoever um so my kind of philosophy on it is um you know allow myself up to 10 days off maybe where there's no kind of pressure to do anything at all. Um, 
certainly I'll get mobile, walk around and that sort of thing, but no, no kind of running or intensive training. And then after the 10 days, if I feel like doing it, then I'll do it. And if, you know what, if, even if before the 10 days, I feel like, okay, everything seems to be fine. Maybe I'll go out and run 3k or 5k just to kind of test how things are going. But I think it's, it's so easy with racing to want to jump straight back into that kind of peak training, which you were doing merely two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And that's not going to happen. I, you know, I, I, again, I, I'm, I'm still relatively new to all this stuff, but, um, uh, the, the long races I've done, I've found that it takes a long time to recover from them. And, um, you know, it, it takes longer I, than I, you I, think, doesn't it? I really think it does. And I think actually it doesn't even have to be that long. I think if you put down a really strong marathon or 50 K effort, um, it can, it can take two weeks, three weeks to sort of recover from that. And I think with hundred miles, it, it certainly can take a month. And for some people it might be longer. For some people it might be shorter. Um, so yeah, I, I don't expect great things for a few weeks now. Um, as for next race, I do not know. I have one booked in October, which is a marathon in Scotland. I am optioning stuff for July or August, but I've got quite a busy period around then where I'm traveling a lot. And to be frank with you, probably drinking quite a lot. And um, that's not really very compatible with training. And I don't want to go into races, you know, at kind of 80%. Um, so we'll see. I need to get the timings right and look at what's available still. I want to do that Scotland one, by the way. I think I'll be good. What's that? So uh, if you hear about a spare place for that Scotland one, I'm up for it. Oh, the Dramathon. Okay. I'll, I'll mm. make some inquiries. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, yeah, I'm up for that. Um, and of course, if you're partaking of fermented beverages, as we've said before, that is beneficial for recovery. So um, it could all be part of your recovery process. That's true. What about um, like three quarters of a bottle of whiskey, three bottles of wine, a um, bottle of champagne and half a dozen beers? You need a big glass. Yeah. Okay, cool. But, um, Just asking for a friend, would, it, you know. <laughs> um, who would have that much alcohol? But um, yeah, I, th- I think that that could be a good plan for pain management. Yeah, I'll tell you what, you could do that bottle of whiskey and then pay for, you know, you could raffle off tickets to pull the blister thing off. Just sat there <laughs> doing shots while people buy tickets off you and then walk up and just take it. Um, I'd love to get hold of the guy that was going on about your belt and, and maybe... Um, yeah, just challenge into a drinking competition and then do some blister pulls. <laughs> uh, um, uh, so October, but um, that's a long way off. Do you think you'll be able to resist it? The, the lure? No, I'll end up doing something, but it might not even be a race. I might do like an FKT or, or I might just do something for fun. Like, you know, I don't know, a multi-day coast path thing um, or something like that, where it's not even running. It's like hiking, fast hiking, whatever. I, I don't know. Um, Loads of races in Chamonix, just saying it. Yeah. Again. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of Centurion ones that I'm interested in doing. But again, it just it's sort of um, depends on timing, really. Um, you know, in the weeks around it as to whether or not I'm actually able to sort of turn up and perform. Oh, I think uh, I think you deserve a rest, if I'm honest, mate. I think you did amazingly well. Now. It, yeah, um, yeah. I feel like it was. I'm, I'm um, rest. It was exhausting watching your dot, and I wasn't even running. I felt tired this morning. I couldn't understand why. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, epic, mate. Absolutely epic. I I was chatting to James Elson uh, on WhatsApp actually before you get into the checkpoints and stuff, 
and uh, he he was as amazed as the rest of us at your, at your pace. He was blown away. Well, he was great. Um, I think there was probably three checkpoints in a row where he made a point of being there and 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 sort of coaching me really through it. And um, he didn't need to be um, because there was quite a gap and probably not anyone else coming through for at least an hour. So I was very grateful for that. Um, like I say I got a lot of love for all that century, Centurion crew. They, they really know how to put on a good race. Um, so that's shall we know, do the North Downs so. next year? Well, I mean, North Downs this year is an option, um, but Ooh, like I say, timings aren't great. It's August time. Um, oh, I can't do it. Early August, I think it is. So um, that's an option, and it's and you it's my kind of race as well because a little bit of hill, but not crazy. Um, yeah, rolling, right? So yeah, so that that I definitely want to do it, and I will do it at some point, but um, I don't know if it this year. I'm probably up for that next year. But, um, hmm. hmm. Right, I suppose we should wrap. Yeah, cool. You, you, you actually need to decaffeinate and get some sleep. I, well, I I'm suggest a the transfusion or something. Yeah, the half-life of caffeine, I think, is like eight hours, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. No, I've kind of done some back-of-fag packet maths, and I reckon I should be coming down from the caffeine high around about this time next week. Uh, so <laughs> fingers crossed I'll be able to get some sleep towards the tail end of next weekend yeah. oh man you're going to be like bedtime yoga chamomile tea box set after box set just yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well done mate um, You oh by the way you got so much love from our listeners on social media and I, I tried to um, like and, and comment on some of them but um, it got very busy last night and, and I was in the brewery um but yeah uh you were being cheered on by cornwall and further afield so um oh cool yeah, thank you everyone i'm very very appreciative of that um yeah, it was much love and everyone who's commented on social media and all that sort of stuff it it does mean a lot it's, it's just nice to go and do a race like that out, outside of i guess my comfort zone that being cornwall um and uh, i mean serpent trail was that kind of neck of the woods as well but it's a reasonably high profile event i guess the Thames path 100 is so um yeah it's good good yeah, to go and definitely. do definitely it. it's known worldwide well done yeah. um right cool. okay i'm gonna go, go and, and not and, get um... some sleep because i'm still high on caffeine <laughs> and uh <laughs> you just get to wince around the house yeah yeah uh, right okay well well done and uh rest it well mate and uh, i'll chat to you in the week yep bye everyone awesome while i was editing the podcast i realized i forgot to mention uh, some of the statistics from the race, which I have gotten in the habit of doing recently. So Jay's not here right now, and I thought I'd just add this little bit of extra bonus material onto the end for anyone who's interested in the stats. Um, so total distance run was 164.37 kilometers. I haven't punched that into work out these in miles, but um, you can do that yourself if you're interested. Um, the my average pace was five minutes six a kilometer and um average speed was 11.8 kilometers an hour total time was 13 hours 59 and 38 seconds total active time was 13 hours 25 and 59 seconds which means that i did 31 minutes stopped or resting 
um, or, or it might have been moving around an aid station. Basically, every time I go into an aid station or every time I stop for a wee, anytime I stop for anything, tie a shoelace, I would tap the lap button on my watch. And on the latest Garmin's, that, that, um, you can set that to sort of record your stop time. So yeah, 31 minutes of um, doing nothing really, wasting time. <laughs> um, now the interesting thing is it will also detect um, the difference between running, walking and standing still. So of that rest time of 31.01, I spent 24.07 of that standing still. So there's about six, seven minutes there where I was at an aid station probably moving around um, but not sort of technically racing at the time. Then of the remainder of it, I was either running or walking. Um, I did 13 hours, 22 minutes of running and 10 hours, no, 10 minutes, 42 seconds of walking. So very little walking at all, really. Probably outside of aid stations, I was only walking for maybe six minutes and that'll just be on couple of the sort of hills that we had here and there where I did a bit of walking and then just towards the end um, I think there was a couple of kilometers where I had sort of 30 second walking breaks as well just didn't quite manage to sort of maintain the pace I had to do a little bit of walking um, 171 steps per minute cadence um, the data is going to get less and less interesting from here on in 533 meters of ascent um, and lastly, calorie burn. This isn't accurate because normally you wear a chest strap. I've never found wrist-based heart monitors to work at all for me. Um, I had heart rate on one of my data screens on the watch and it told me throughout the race that I was about 180 beats per minute, which is ridiculous. It's nowhere near that. Um, but the calorie count, which is obviously based on that, um, came in at 10,000 or just over 10,000 calories for the day. I reckon that's probably about 2,000 higher than it should be. It's probably more like 8,000. But anyway, consumption-wise, it's um, I don't have exact figures, but I tended to consume around about 500 ml of Tailwind every hour. Um, sometimes I was sipping it in aid stations, sometimes on the move, but if you want to average it out, that would be about right. It did change towards the end of the race. Um, I stopped drinking so much Tailwind and switched to Coke, and then eventually I was really just running on coffee and water. Um, and that didn't seem to do me any harm. <clears throat> but yeah, in general, we're probably looking at around about 12 um, uh, 500 ml flasks of Tailwind. I'm not sure exactly how strong they were mixing them, but it didn't come across particularly sweet to me. So I'd guess there's probably something like 40 grams of sugar in each one. Um, so we're looking at 500 grams of sugar total. So le less than 2000 calories consumed um, across the entire day. And even that I would say is probably on the higher end of end of estimation. Um, it, it may indeed have been a little bit lower than that, more like 1800, which I think is about what I consumed on the arc of attrition, if I remember correctly. Anyway, that's probably enough of all that sort of stuff. Um, it might've been useful to some of you, probably isn't useful to all of you, probably quite boring, uh, but thanks for listening anyway. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trail and Error podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and most important of all, share it with your friends and your family. Also, if you have any guest suggestions or suggestions for features that you would like to see on the Trail and Error podcast, please get in touch with us via our social media channels. 
at trail underscore and underscore error underscore UK. It makes more sense when it's written down, I promise you. Oh, and we're on Facebook too. See you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>